You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the State of Recruiting's Open Mic. I'm Mike Roach of Horns 247, and each week I'm sitting down with a friend or colleague from the industry to discuss football. This week's guest is the voice of Texas athletics, Craig Way. Aside from hosting a daily radio show on 1049 The Horn in Austin, Craig calls most of the Longhorn athletic games on the radio. Craig's been around for some of the best and biggest moments in the last two decades in Texas sports, and he talks with us about how he got there and what goes through his mind before a big call. So please enjoy this conversation with Craig Way. All right. Now joining me on the State of Recruiting's Open Mic, we have a big guest this week. It is the voice of the Longhorns, uh, the host of Light the Tower, We're Nine the Horn. Uh, it is the great Craig Way. Craig, thanks for, uh, for joining me this week. My pleasure, Mike. Glad to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Um, so first of all, Craig, I, I know you keep busy. You got a daily radio show um, in Austin. Uh, you've got uh, your, your hands into just about everything. But what have you been doing during uh, the quarantine portion of this pandemic to to keep yourself busy? You know, one thing I've been doing is on my show, I've rotated uh, all of the Big Twelve play by play guys, uh, some of the NBA guys, and some other people I know in the business for a periodical segment that I call "What Do Play by Play Guys Do When There Are No Games to Call." Because we're all kind of in that boat a little bit. And like Dave Hunziker at Oklahoma State's been playing dice baseball games. And other guys have been doing – I had Toby Rowland, the voice of the Sooners, on my show today. And he was uh, he was talking about how he does a lot of walking. And, uh, you know, so I th- people have done different things, I think. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of reading. I really enjoy reading. So I've, I've, I've been through several books already. Uh, at the time, but like everybody else, I'm kind of antsy and, and really wanting to get back at it. And hopefully, uh, everything continues to proceed forward, and then we have football games to call this fall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm so excited to kind of talk about your career and how it came about because I've I don't know maybe it's just me maybe it's me being myopic. But I grew up in Dallas. Um, I grew up with like the ticket on the radio. I grew up listening to guys like uh, you know like a. Uh, 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 Ralph Strangis and Daryl Ray call Stars games. Mark Folliwell call Mavericks games. And you call Texas games. And I, and I just feel like we're really blessed in this area to have a bunch of great uh, play-by-play guys around. Is this something you wanted to do your whole life? Or, or you know, how did you get into it? I, I think probably since I was a, a teenager anyway. Uh, I was a, a little more fortunate, I think, <laughs> than a lot of guys in that I, I grew up in North Carolina. And now I've lived most of my life in Texas. But I grew up in North Carolina, moved out to Texas when I was 18, and I've been out here since. But when I grew up in North Carolina, one thing that my high school had was it, it was kind of unique, especially for the mid-70s, was to have its own television production studio, uh, TV staff, and, uh, and production class. And what they did was this production class put together a live, daily, 30-minute news uh, newscast from in a homeroom from 8.30 in the morning until 9 a.m. And at age 14, 
uh, as a freshman, I auditioned for the sportscaster role and I got it. And, um, but it was live. It was a, you know, by today's standards, it would be primitive for what it was. A, it was in black and white, but uh, it was a three camera shoot. And for the mid seventies, it was, it was pretty far ahead of its time. And that we had a news anchor uh, we had backdrop. We wore blazers, and it was like it was 70s look, you know, uh, navy blue blazers and light blue turtlenecks that we wore, stuff like that. And uh, we had we had backdrops with us, like a globe background. And mine was like a sports backdrop that had been painted and artwork done by people. And it was the actual newscast news, weather, and sports. And I would read sports stories. We didn't have teleprompters, so I'm like reading and looking at scripts and things like that. But uh, we did that and. Had a couple little, uh, as they say, ENG stories, uh, some videotape uh, pieces that we would go to or we would just have slides that would just show a still of, of an athlete. So it started with that. But then we also had, uh, they figured out the one, one they'd been doing this for a few years when I auditioned. Uh, and they figured that they could do other things with it. And so what they decided to do was to televise the homeroom basketball tournament championship game and that was my first ever play-by-play in the spring of 1975 at age 14 uh getting the actual new play-by-play and you might say that's when the bug bit me or whatever and so going through high school i i that's what i wanted to do also dabbled in some other things i was in theater i was in a uh i enjoyed that i i really liked all of Shakespeare's works. And I was in the uh, audition for, it was in the North Carolina Shakespeare Festival right after I graduated high school. But then when I got off to college, it was back into studying uh, to do broadcasting. You mentioned Mark Folliwell. Uh, you know, by the time I got to North Texas and my, my folks had moved out to Texas uh, in the summer of 78. And by the time I uh, got out to Texas, I went my freshman fall semester at University of North Carolina, Wilmington, down by the beach. because a family used to vacation down there a lot. I went there. But came out of Christmas vacation, loved Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, decided I want to stay. Went to junior college at North Lake and Irving for a little bit and got some uh, basic stuff out of the way. Actually went to Texas Tech for all of one semester and, uh, and, and didn't mind Tech or Lubbock. Actually kind of liked it. But for what I wanted to do, I thought I needed to be back in the Metroplex. And uh, I came back and, and transferred to North Texas and studied under the great Bill Mercer, the broadcaster there, who, you know, a lot of folks know him as the voice of world-class championship wrestling and how tight he was with the Von Ericks and the, and the Freebirds and, and uh, you know, all of that. But he was the voice of the, the Mean Green for 35 years. He was uh, play-by-play voice of the Cowboys in the late 60s, called the Ice Bowl game uh, as the Cowboys play-by-play broadcast and their first two Super Bowls, including their first Super Bowl victory, uh, and, uh, and was the Rangers' first broadcaster in 72-73. And I learned a great deal under him uh, while I was at North Texas, and, uh, and they had great uh, broadcast journalism program there, and several of us went through that program, including Mark Follow, including Dunham and Miller from The Ticket, including, you know, several other ones uh, through the years who, who have made their way in this business. We all kind of went through the sports broadcasting curriculum in the broadcast department at North Texas. It helped kind of shape the, the way that we became. Uh, I had gotten hired uh, as a morning drive news tape editor at KRLD in Dallas, typing leads for the news anchors. And I would get up at 2.30 in the morning in Denton, this is my, starting in my junior year, and drive down to Dallas and, and work from 4 to 8 in the morning for 5 bucks an hour doing that, then drive back to Denton, make it to class in time, 
uh, and then uh, anchor a couple of sports casts over at KNTU, the campus radio station. If there was a high school basketball or football game to do uh, on a Friday, a football game, a basketball during the winter and spring, then I would do that, or I'd work North Texas games with Bill Mercer as his analyst, and did that while I was there. So that that helped kind of shape what I was doing, and um, I was able to transition into the sports department. Brad Sham, the voice of the Dallas Cowboys, was uh, the sports director at the time and and uh, hired me full-time in sports in the uh, spring of 1985. And I was at KRLD from tw- for 12 years, from 84 to 96, after Brad left when the Cowboys left stations to go from KRLD to KVIL. I became the sports director there, and we did a great deal of things there. We started doing high school football there, and I was doing the high school scoreboard there, which was kind of the prototype for what we do on Fox on Friday night with our high school scoreboard live show. So it started with that. And then, and then even in the fall of 88, I was brought on to the old Southwest Conference radio network uh, as the studio anchor where they would bring in all the broadcast of all the Southwest Conference. Because I was the studio anchor for Texas from 88 to 91. I was also the studio anchor for Texas A&M in 88 and 89, and Houston, and Rice, and Baylor, and TCU, and Tech, uh, SMU when they got football back up and running again, and Arkansas, the old Southwest Conference radio network. So you had that once the network broke up, schools went and did their own thing, and host communications at the time, which ultimately uh, merged, evolved, and, and then went, went on to what is now a part of Learfield IMG College. But at the time, the rights holder, host communications, had several other radio networks come in to their studios and headquarters in Dallas, on Walnut Hill Lane in Dallas. And I was in that studio every Saturday. And in uh, 90 and 91, I was the studio anchor for Texas, uh, Army, Navy, uh, Houston was still on board with that, but they were the only other former Southwest Conference school. Uh, Pitt, Alabama, Florida State, and occasionally Tennessee and Auburn, depending on how their their uh, satellite things work. So I was I would do like a uh, a pregame show for Texas, and they get done. Stay tuned. Uh, coming up, you'll hear from head coach David McWilliams next when Longhorn football continues in a moment. They said, "Okay, stand by. You got a halftime for Navy." And then I'd do a studio anchor segment for Navy, and I get done with that. There might have been an early kickoff for Army. Then we go late into the, the late at night with Andre Ware and Houston there in '90, and 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 uh, they would have those four-hour football games. So it was it was a long, it were long days, but they were a lot of fun and helped me out more as a studio anchor from '88 through '91. And um, the last football game of the season for the Longhorns in '91 against A&M. Uh, Coach McWilliams' last game, in fact, uh, they uh, I stepped in as the as the as a fill in as the analyst because Bill Shoning was the analyst had gone up to New York to do the preseason NIT with a basketball team and Jerry Truppiano was finishing his time as the play by play voice of Texas. So I worked that one game, and the next year when Bill moved into the play by play role, they asked me if I wanted to be the studio anchor, and we did that. We did ten football and nine basketball seasons together, and then. Bill left after the 01 football season to take over the play-by-play for the San Antonio Spurs. And then I moved into the play-by-play role at Texas, starting with basketball for men. I'd done the women's play-by-play starting in 97, but I started with basketball uh, and baseball among the men's sports with the 01-02 season. So that's kind of the footprint of how, how the trail led to the current situation with regard to radio. And then television was offshoots of all of that. 
You've gotten to a place in your career where you certainly don't have to do high school scoreboard and, uh, and keep in touch with high school football and, and do the UIL state championships. But it's clear, and one of the things I love about you is your love for, for Texas high school football. It's a, it's a thing we have in common. Um, being an outsider from the state, you know, what were your first impressions of it? And was it just that early work doing high school football that kind of you know, kept you so engaged with it through the years? Well, it's a great question because – uh, I, football, high school football in North Carolina is big, and, and it was big. Um, it was big back then. In fact, my high school won a uh, shared state championship when I was an eighth grader, and uh, they had a tie for the state championship because in those days, obviously, uh, here as there and everywhere else, you didn't play overtime. So they, they had tied for a state championship when I was an eighth grade, ninth grade. They were undefeated state champions in what would now be class – 4A in Texas, uh, back then 3A up there, and um, and and I liked it and covered it for the student newspaper and all that sort of stuff. But as anybody will tell you, and it's the absolute unvarnished truth, and you know this, Mike, you get out here, high school football here is on an entirely different level. And I've seen high school football played in California and in person, at some of the better places uh, in Arizona, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania in North and South Carolina, in Virginia, in Florida, but it doesn't compare on the level of everything involved when you get to Texas. It just is not the same. And I'll never forget when I was, uh, I mentioned that one of the colleges I went to was Northlake in Irving, and uh, I was studying journalism up there, and this would have been in the fall of 1980, and I got an opportunity to be a stringer for the Carrollton Times Chronicle newspaper, and they said, we want you to we want, we're going to have you really cover Newman Smith High and Carrollton. Uh, it's the second-year program, and they're not very good. But we want you for this week to step in and cover W.T. White and Lake Highlands. And I said, okay. So I go out to Lowe's Field, and W.T. White at the time was a big 5A program. Now would be 6A. Of course, their, their enrollment has dropped. Lake Highlands is a 6A program. They were 5A at the state's highest level, and they were two marquee programs meeting in a non-district game at Lowe's Field, and they just laid down a brand-new artificial turf uh, surface. I walk into that, and you know what Lowe's is like. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, back then it was in a lot better shape than it is now. The high school stadium had seen about 12,000. It was jammed, and the bands are going, and the cheerleaders and the drill teams. I walked in, I looked around, and these teams, and I thought, what in the world is this? <laughs> and I, and, and it was just this, this real epiphany, this real moment that kind of seized me at that time. And I, you know, I covered the game that night, and then I started covering a, a, a bad Newman Smith team. Now, the next week and, and, and throughout the rest of the season. But it was hooked at that point. And um, I started venturing out on my own to, to just to see lots of different high school games. And then when I got into, uh, into the broadcasting program at North Texas, uh, part of what we had to do in our sports broadcasting class was to go out and do games play-by-play, put them on cassette tapes and bring them in and prepare our own spotting boards and things like that. And I would go out and pick a random – high school game on a Thursday night, I'd get in touch with the coaches in advance and ask for the, the starting lineups and the backups and the stats if they had them to learn to cut my teeth on play-by-play. And that helped by the time I got to North Texas when I was in the uh, sports broadcasting department there, but uh, working at the campus radio station, talking the station manager and letting us do live high school play-by-play. There, wasn't, there weren't a lot of avenues for sports broadcasters at the campus radio station. You were spinning jazz records as a DJ, and I did that too. And they had a newscast, and you'd do a sports cast, 
But, but I, and as I explained to the guy that was the general manager of the campus station, the faculty member, I said, we need training as sports broadcasters. And he said, well, you've got the sports cast. I said, yeah, but that's not play by play. And he said, well, if you can get the expenses covered on it, and we can't really show a profit, we're a public radio station, but you know, if you can get the, get the, uh, uh, get the expenses covered with some, some donor sponsor underwriter announcements, we'll do it. So I picked out Pilot Point because at the time in the early 80s, they were a hallmark program. In fact, they were the defending state champions when the 82 season began. And I'd go up there and I was selling underwriting announcements to Huff Funeral Home and Pilot Point Monument Company and Strip Matter Irrigation and Supply and Yarbrough Grocery and Market and all these little businesses at $25 a, a, a uh, an underwriting sponsorship just to donate to and get their uh, and record their announcement just so we could do play-by-play -play of their playoffs. And it started from that and, and did that for a couple of years and did, and then we added regular season in 84 uh, with Louisville and all of us, all of those guys that you mentioned and we talked about, we all were voices of the Louisville fighting farmers at one time. Mark Followell was, uh, George Dunham, Craig Miller were. Uh, we were all play-by-play -play voices of the Crumb Bobcats doing basketball when they were a 1A powerhouse along with Ponder. And you would, and we would do these games of these huge uh, battles between the arch rivals on Farm to Market Road 156, the Crumb Bobcats and the Ponder Lions and, and their battle to see who would probably be the best of the area and have a shot to go to state. So. Those are the games. Those are the games that cut your teeth as a play-by-play -play guy. And those are the games, Mike, where you truly develop your love for high school sports and high school athletics in the state of Texas. It started from that. It made an impression on me then, and it continues with me today. Man, what you said hit – you know, so I was born in Irving, raised in Irving, went to Irving High, um, went to North Lake College as well. So did some time there. So that, Breaking that, Blazers. I did the PA for, uh, for North Lake's volleyball and, and uh, <laughs> basketball teams when I was there. It all hits close to home, man. It, it really does. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, we talked about Georgia Craig and Mark. Obviously, you were close with a lot of those guys at the ticket. Um, how, how familiar were you with the, uh, the Craig Way Obscure Game of the Week? And, and uh, did it tickle you the first time you heard it? I, I did. They, they, uh, George let me know about it. George is the godfather of my oldest son. And, and we, uh, uh, when, when my wife was alive, we were very close to uh, George and Kelly Dunham uh, and uh, they friends with their family. And then the same thing with Craig Miller. I mean, I got to know those guys when we were all at North Texas, they were a little bit behind me, but we were all still in the program and coming up through it, learning together. Uh, same thing. I'll, I'll never forget. I always uh, laugh when I told Mark Follower the story. Uh, Mark came a little bit after I was done at North Texas. Well, I, I went down and I'd been working at KRLD for a few years and I was invited to come up and guest lecture. Um, and, uh, in, in the sports broadcasting class and then a speech and drama class or something. So I, I go up there to guest lecture. And as I went by, I went by to see where they had moved the campus radio station out of the speech and drama building at the time over to this house on campus called Smith Hall. So I go over there and I'm kind of getting a tour from the, the station manager and, so and I hear this voice in the other room. And I said, who is that voice? And I walk in and there's an 18 year old Mark Folliwell doing news. And I said, that dude is going to be a star. And you don't even need me to tell you that. I said, that dude has it all over a bit. And I always remember it. it was kind of my moment. Like you always heard uh, 
Buck O'Neill say that he heard that crack of the bat when he could hear that crack of the bat from Willie Mays or Ted Williams or Bo Jackson later. I heard that voice and I knew it would be that. So it really, it started from there and, and hearing those guys, it was a, it was a big, big part of it. They, uh, we've, I've managed to stay in close contact with those guys and other guys I've worked with in Dallas, Chuck Cooperstein, the radio voice of the Mavericks, uh, he was a, 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 a an usher in my wedding. I was a groomsman at his wedding. So I, I got a chance to, you know, work with some really good people up there in Dallas. And it helped me as a broadcaster. There's no doubt about that. Um, I've always wondered this about broadcasters. When you know you're going to have a big call. So say, for instance, let's go back to the Rose Bowl. Um, I think that the Keith Jackson call always gets played on the national the national things, but your call is the one that always goes through my head when I think about fourth and five. Um, you know, how much do you think about things like that in advance, maybe the night before, what are we going to say if this comes down to the last second and how much, you know, how often, well, I guess what goes through your mind before big calls in general and specifically what was going through your mind before fourth and five? Well, I would be less than truthful if I said I didn't give it any thought at all until the, until the that's silly. Um, it, it, because it, it's within the framework and the context of your preparation for the broadcast for any game, you think about certain elements of, of what you need to look at when you're preparing the team and you got your broadcast charts and all that. However, I can tell you this, and because I learned this a long time ago from my broadcast mentors, from uh, Bill Mercer, from Brad Champ, that chances are, and I think I even read that Dick Enberg said the same thing, that if you plan to say something chances are it's not going to come out anywhere close to the way you wanted it to and in my case as i said i would mess it up if i if i actually planned to say something that i was going to say uh i've been asked many many times about like the tower orange uh, uh coming back after the o2 national championship i didn't plan to say that what happened with that was Plain and simple, I was asked when and, – and remember, this was my first year on the play-by-play for Texas, 0102. So my first year includes men's basketball getting to the Sweet 16, women's basketball getting to the Sweet 16, and baseball winning a national championship. And I'm in Omaha, been there for a couple of weeks, and, there, you know, you'd see Longhorn fans or, uh, you know, uh, different people would say, hey, what are you going to call when they win? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to think about that kind of thing. And uh, so we get to the ninth inning of the game, and they're up on South Carolina. And uh, Keith Moreland was working with me, obviously, on the games. And, and Keith brings out the commercial break and sets it up, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and Texas three outs away, and Craig will take you home or whatever. Keith, at that point, took his headset off and went down to the field to get ready to do postgame interviews. Well, I, um, I, again, I had not really given it much thought. So – the the first guy, if I remember correctly, for South Carolina reaches base. He either walks or gets a base hit, but he's on. And he, he's batting against Houston Street. He reaches base. Then the next batter hits a quick comebacker to the mound, which started like a 1-4-3 double play. Houston turns it. All of a sudden, there's two outs. And right at that moment, it kind of jumped into my head like, this is about over. You know, are you ready? You know, so you, and, uh, and and for a fleeting moment, what went in my mind was, what are you going to think about? What are you going to say? The only thing that I could think about was Keith 
we were doing the talk show the day before talking about when he played on the 1975 national championship team, flying home and seeing the tower lit orange. And it was, it was a good thing that went in my mind because it was like either the first or second pitch after that, boom, ground ball over to Anaveras, step on the bag, and it just came out. Light the tower orange, Texas Longhorns are college baseball's national championship. That, that, that's how it came out. So, you, you know, I didn't plan for it, but it came out that way, and there was a lot of excitement and so on and so forth. You flash forward after that three years later in 05, the day before game two of that national championship series against Florida, they're on the verge of winning it. Tom Holiday is now the pitching coach at Texas and stops me at breakfast that morning at the hotel and says, hey, Kathy, his wife, Kathy and I want to know what you're going to say. Uh, no, he didn't say that. He goes, Kathy and I are making sure you're going to say light the towel, right? And I was like, no, I said that then. This is a different year and time. He goes, no, 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 you got to say that. We we weren't here in 02. You got to <laughs> you got to say light the towel. And I'm like, I do? He's like, yeah. And I thought, well, it'd be silly to say it exactly the same. And and so I kind of didn't think about it and then was on the verge. I thought, well, it, it, I, I really liked Tom and Kathy. And I thought if I'm going to put that in there, put it in a proper context. So when they got the – when Jay Brent Cox got the strikeout, it was – for the sixth time in school history, you can light the Tower Orange, blah, 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 because it was their sixth national title. But that was as close to planning anything as possible. With regard to the fourth and five call, um, you know what that game was like. That was like holding on for dear life. As, as broadcasters would say in the business, a game like that is, as they like to say, is a good horse to ride. And you just want to stay on board the horse and not fall off. You want to keep pace and do it. After the fourth and two stop of Lendale White, Keith Moore and I looked at each other, and I think we just kind of knew they're going to win it now because we've seen this guy do this all year long. We've seen Vince do it. So he's going to find a way to do it, even though they had to convert a fourth down along the way, and, and they go on down, and then they get and they got the other fourth down. And now it's fourth and five. And the only thing that comes to my mind as they break the huddle or whatever or about to break the huddle is, all the dreams and all the hopes for the national championship come down to this play. I mean, it's one play. So everything that we've all thought about, everything that we've wondered comes down. And then it's just setting up the play, fourth and five, you know, snap back to Young, Vince looks, and then and then I knew what he was going to do. He started, he'll tuck it in and run, you know, and then you're just doing your job as a play-by-play guy, even though your voice is rising, Vince to the five. Touchdown, Texas. Touchdown, Vince Young. He's done it again. That's kind of in the moment of incredulity. You know, they, they've given them the lead with 19 seconds to play in the game. And then when when uh, USC on the last play, when Liner throws incomplete, uh, it was something again. It went back to something Keith Moreland said before the game on the air. He said, uh, you know, it was when I, I was in high school when Texas won its last football national championship is what Keith said. He said, I've been waiting 35 years for this. I hope it happens. So at the end – when it happens, that's it popped into my head to say 35 years in the waiting, eight years in the building under Mac Brown, because a lot of people have been waiting for a long, long time. I found that really the best examples of what you can do to convey the moment are to let it come to you as the game comes to you and do it. I got a lot of ribbing and kidding for Matt Coleman hitting that game-winning three in Norman against Oklahoma back in February, late in the season, for saying, holy mackerel, because it was. It was, you know, it was a moment of incredulity. It was, holy mackerel, he banked it in after everything that happened with two missed free throws. And you come down and you bank in a three-pointer to win? 
You know, it's, it's the same thing as a lot of guys going, are you kidding me? Um, I don't know that I could say, are you, you, are you kidding me? Because I think it would probably sound rehearsed. I've heard it so many times. But that's what came to me at the time. And I think the, some of the best play-by-play calls are the things that come to the person at the time that they say it. With regard to that, do you remember when and where you came up with Say Goodnight to this one and when you thought, okay, yeah, that's, I'm going to keep using that? Uh, well, and, and somebody asked me about that on the air last week. Uh, I, yeah, of all things, it was a Texas high school football game. And, and you, as a Metroplex kid, will appreciate this. Uh, when we started doing the game of the week on KRLD in 1989, I know this was before you're born, but when we started nope, doing nope, that, nope. I was born in 84, so we're good. Okay. All right. <laughs> you're all of five years old. Okay. <laughs> um, in, in 89, we're doing the game, uh, between Spruce and Mesquite at Forrester field over there in mm-hmm. East Dallas. And, uh, it was two good teams. It was a non-district game, like third week of the season and Spruce had a really good all-purpose wide receiver, defensive back, running back named Carl Richardson. He ended up going to Miami, played at Miami. And he had already scored one touchdown on an 80-yard run when he lined up in the backfield and just took off and went for a touchdown. And, you know, and I called it standard way, you know, whatever. They get a stop, uh, and it was either later in the same – it was definitely in the same quarter. It was either one or two series later – I don't think it was the very next series, but it was like right after that. They give it to him on what today we would call a speed sweep, basically, or a jet sweep. He lined up in a flanker uh, position in the slot, came around, got it, boom, and took off. And when he turned the corner, it was like the Red Sea parted, and you couldn't tell nobody was going to get it. And it was like, say goodnight to this one. So he was gone, and I had two or three people, including Brad Chan, told me, hey, that was a good call on that. And it didn't. It, it didn't occur to me to file it away and, oh, let's plug in, say goodnight to this one on a call. It does, when I do say it, uh, it is an organic moment. It's not something I don't plan on. You know, let's see, uh, Texas is playing uh, Arkansas State, so I ought to have four say goodnight to this ones. And <laughs> No, you, don't, you, you can't think about it like that. And, I, and, and I, I don't think I've said it more than a couple times in any game uh, and even if I said it a second time, it's like say goodnight to it. You know, it's over. Uh, but it but it has to be something organic that you feel and see at the time. And it begs the question, and it's a very fair question. I've been asked this with regard to football and baseball in a home run. Somebody hits one out, say goodnight to it. You know, whatever. I've been asked this. Have you ever said it and then it didn't happen? <laughs> and the answer is yes. It's happened once in football and once in baseball. But both times – I was fortunate in that as I was saying it organically, it came to me to say it, I could see there was a chance that it wasn't going to happen. I could see a defensive back racing diagonally, and he was going to cut off the angle and make the tackle. I could see the center fielder making a great run to leap up against the wall. And what I said at the time was, say goodnight to this one unless so-and-so can get him. (laughs) Say goodnight to this one unless so-and-so can get to the ball, and he'll catch it. So it's kind of like a recovery thing. So – I've tried to be more careful and not, even if, as it's organic and comes to me, to understand it may be organic, but make sure that it looks like it's really going to happen before you say it. Um, outside of those championship calls, do you have a favorite call? Uh, maybe not a championship game, but just a, a special moment that you remember? Oh, I mean, I think we all think about some special moments, no doubt, uh, in, in each sport. I mean, in, in addition to the national championship game, uh, there's 
you know, Dusty Mangum's field goal to beat Michigan was was something, and that's just a, it's good. It's yelling good. Um, probably, I'd have to say that the the uh, Justin Tucker kicker kick against Texas A and M uh, because of the way that that whole season had gone up and down, and uh, and here's you know Case McCoy pinballing his way, bebopping up and down the field in the mud, trying to get him in position for Tucker to kick it. And even though Justin was as great a kicker as he was, you don't know until you know, especially on a sloppy surface, would the snap be good, would the hole be good? And it's just the, you know, the guttural good hitting it. Same thing with a couple of basketball calls, Javon Felix to beat North Carolina. Corey Joseph on a, on a shot in the lane in Greensboro. That was that was kind of a homecoming for me. I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina, and and Corey Joseph in that regular season game hitting that shot in the lane to beat Carolina uh, there uh, in the Greensboro Coliseum. It was a special moment for me. It was the first time I'd been in that building since my high school graduation. And, and I grew up going to see Holiday on Ice and the circus and the Carolina Cougars and the ABA and the occasional college basketball game and sneaked into an ACC tournament once in that building. So it held a lot of memories for me. And to be able to go back in there and to call a game was going to be really cool, and uh, and and this is kind of an unfortunate moment, but it but it's but it's happened. Um, I was due to go back to Greensboro if the schedule worked out, depending on whether the Texas men got into the NCAA tournament or not this year. If the schedule worked out, or if they didn't get in, I was going to Greensboro to do the national radio call for Westwood One. So it would have been a chance to go back again, uh, which would have been really cool. So there's there's special moments. I mean, my goodness, the the baseball national championship moments come to mind. Uh, the the game against Arizona State, where Cameron Rupp hits the homer to tie it in the uh, ninth, and I, they, I've had a lot of people ask me about that call, the prodigious clout call, because <laughs> that was something I'd read in a book in describing Babe Ruth hitting a prodigious clout, and it came to me in the moment uh, to say that, and then two batters later, it's Connor Rowe getting the walk off to win. I, I I think of that. I think of the other things too, Mike. I think of like. In um, 2015, this uh, this Texas team that had to win the Big 12 baseball tournament to get to a regional, normally they're never in that position. When they're in the championship game of the tournament, you want them to win it, but you're thinking, yeah, they're going, they're going to be in a regional, probably going to be a one seed, probably hosting anyway, maybe a top eight national seed. No, they had to win or they weren't getting in. And uh, for them to ride through it and, and beat the regular season champ, I think about that, um, some moments there. Uh, and, and a lot of that just comes down to the people that you're working with. I loved working with Augie Garrido. Uh, I've loved working with David Pierce. I, I've been really fortunate with these coaches at, at Texas because I've had other play-by-play guys tell me the difficulty of working with some of the coaches they've had. I haven't had any kind of trouble with anybody that's been a head coach at Texas. They've always been great to me, and it's, and it's always been a lot of fun working with them. And that's the plain, unvarnished truth. Um, I recall the state championship weekend in 18, so many great moments from, from that, just the whole weekend. I mean, if you're talking, you talk about Jordan Whittington's singular performance against, uh, you know, a stack Pleasant Grove team or Haynes King and, and Longview overcoming the long, uh, the long drought they had in the, the North Shore Hell Mary, um, you were in the building for all those. I mean, um, you know, how fun were those to watch as well? Well, yeah, you're right. Those were a lot of fun. And, and by the way, the aforementioned Mark Fowell actually got to call that Jordan Whittington game because I do usually eight of the 12 state championship games. 
and the UIL appreciates it. They, they like the fact that I can do at least one of every classification, and I do both six-man games, and I do both 6A games. And, and so uh, Fox – you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're very good to me. They want to make sure that I don't, you know, whatever, blow out my pipes or whatever by trying to call all 12. So I said, we're going to give you a little help. And it, and it's, and it, and it, and it's a heartwarming thing. The other two guys that rotate in with me are both North Texas graduate. Mark Followell calls two games, Ted Emmerich, who's uh, gone on to his own uh, outstanding work uh, at ESPN and for Westwood one, he calls the other two games. I worked with Ted's dad, Roger Emmerich, uh, who uh, covered the high school scene so well for so many years in the Dallas-Fort Worth area before he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, Roger and I worked together. I remember when Ted was born. Uh, so those two guys do a couple of games each, and I do the other eight. In the rotation that year, uh, it was not in the cards for me to do the 4AD2 game that had uh, the, the Cuero Pleasant Grove game. But I stood right there by the booth and watched in amazement like everybody else and what Jordan Whittington was doing. The other games you mentioned, yeah, those were those were a lot of fun uh, to get to call those games. Uh, the uh, the Hail Mary game, you just – you hope that you have a game that lives up to the billing, and it did live up to all the billing. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That game uh, that comes to mind, the Highland Park Manville game, the prior year. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rock'em, Sock'em, and that, that was – uh, a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, people that know me well, they know we've had a lot of fun with us. The 2011 game, uh, which was Cibolo Steel and, and DeCaney, mm-hmm. which is remembered not for Trey Williams' outstanding game as running back on the field. Uh, no, it's it's known for the runaway golf cart. Right. And <laughs> I'm in the booth at the end of that, and I'm saying, and they're rolling the videotape, and I'm seeing it, I'm saying, there's been a disturbance on the field. All that, and I, the talk, the famous nationally known talk show host Jim Rome had a lot of fun with that. They played that call. He goes, "Oh yeah, a disturbance on the field. You mean like that golf cart getting loose, dude?" So, <laughs> there have been some uh, funny moments, but there have been some great moments in calling. Uh, somebody did an account and asked me, uh, "Did you do this and this and this?" It was a newspaper writer a few years ago. I think it was. Uh, for the induction of the Texas High School Football Hall of Fame. But then they came back and updated thing last year, completed calling over 100 state championship games alone in football. And it's been over 200 in all sports. And and uh, so it's, it's it's been a great deal of fun. And to get back to what your original point was, I wouldn't want to walk away from any of that. I enjoy it too much. I enjoy doing the show on Friday night, and I enjoy doing the state championship game. I love working with the high school coaches and the UIL and Fox and the Texas High School Coaches Association. It means an awful lot to do it, and that's why I continue to do it. Yeah, our mutual friend Greg Tepper has told me just some insane stories about you catching a game in the Austin area for like a half and then flying to Dallas to get into the studio for, for Fox uh, scoreboard. So there's, uh, there's been so there's been a few fast drives and whatever. There's been that kind of stuff, and they've gotten a chuckle out of that in the past. That's no doubt. But Tep does a great job with what, what he does, obviously. I got so excited to get the magazine today and uh oh. and and uh uh, what what he and his staff do, and he has been a major asset working with me and Rick Renner on the show on Friday night. We have a great time together. Man, you just reminded me that uh, I've been seeing people post the magazine, and every day I run out to my mailbox, and it hasn't been there yet, and I haven't <laughs> ran out there today, so we'll, maybe I'll check as soon as if we get done here. There um, you go. My last question for you. you. I think the Big 12 gets the rap of being a pretty boring conference when it comes to travel. You've been – all to every school out there. What are some of your favorite stops uh, in conference play? 
Now you mean for like to go eat? Yeah, I mean, just, I get, just I it, take all night and tell anybody about eating places. Just any but, cities that you're like, I, you know what? Ames may not be such a bad place or, or, you know, something like that. Ames is not a bad place. I like Hickory Park barbecue there in, in Ames, no doubt about it. And, and there's a, a few little watering holes there and uh, down south, the team would often stay in Ankeny down south and uh, go eat at the Ankeny diner. But if you, if you were to say you go to every place, every city in the big 12, if you go to Morgantown, West Virginia, Go to Tudor's Biscuit World and have, it, have, that, have that big biscuit. They have that one biscuit called The Politician, which is egg, cheese, and a big hunk of bologna on a, oh. on a biscuit. That's The Politician. Um, if you were to go to uh, Manhattan, Kansas, and go to The Chef uh, for breakfast or, or to go to Harry's Uptown Supper Club and have dinner as I did with Augie Garrido back in the days, that was, a, that was an awful lot of fun. There's, oh, there's little stories and places in all of those cities uh, in the Big 12 Conference, I, I mean, I can I can find a, a decent place to hang out or to visit with people in virtually every Big 12 Conference city, no doubt about it. Awesome. Well, Craig, thank you so much for joining us today, man. I, I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, so fitting me in for, for 40 or so minutes here was, was great. Listen, I, I appreciate you taking some of your time to join us on Mondays and give us the recruiting update because uh, you, you guys do it, and you in specific do a great job of unearthing uh, a lot of what goes through these kids' minds, and you're, you're on a good level with them. And so uh, that's why it's always invaluable to have you with us on Mondays on uh, the Light the Tower show, and I appreciate you doing that as well. Yeah, you can hear that. Um, I'm on at 1030 on Mondays. What is your – I'm sorry, what's your, your, you guys are 10 to noon, right? 10 to noon, and, and on Mondays, we like having you at 1030. Now, you're going to like this because this fall, it's, it's, since you're friends with Tepper, it, it, uh, from Mondays during the fall, Tep's on with us right out of the gate in the 10 o'clock hour. So we have him on, and then <laughs> coming in right behind him is the cleanup man. Oh, so Tepper's opening for me. That's how I'm going to spin it to him. That's it. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, Craig, we appreciate it, man. Everybody go listen to Light the Tower on 104.9 The Horn in Austin. You can do that on their app as well. Um, and that's 10 to noon uh, weekdays. Uh, Craig, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the State of Recruiting's Open Mic. As a reminder, you can find the show on any major po- podcast platform. Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you can get your podcasts. We would also like to ask that you go to any of those podcast platforms and subscribe, rate, and review our podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If Ready PG.